We all want a happy life, and there are thousands of opinions about what will help get you there. So why does it seem like so few people are actually finding true happiness? This series explores why happiness is so elusive and how our relationship with God leads to the contentment that we all desire. Here's today's teaching. Good morning, Central. Our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. So please turn in your Bibles to John 8. Or you may choose to follow along in the worship notes or the words on the screen. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 8, 31 to 38. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Yet you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you that I have seen the Father's presence, what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your Father. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey, good morning, Central. You're looking good. You survived Snowpocalypse 2024, (laughs) all four inches of it. Well done. Um, I once went to the dinner, I went to a dinner at a house of some newlyweds who were checking out our church. Uh, They made Kimberly and I a big pot of homemade soup and a big batch of homemade biscuits. And the biscuits looked amazing. They were golden brown. They had just come out of the oven. They were steaming. And I love biscuits, so I took three. And as we were talking, I cut one open and put some butter on it and took a bite and I knew instantly that something was horribly wrong because these biscuits tasted repulsive. In fact, repulsive is too gracious of a word for what these biscuits tasted like. And so I went into kind of panic mode in my head and I started doing this deep breathing through my nose to stop from gagging. And then my panicking mind was calculating the likelihood of these people ever coming back to our church if I did did my best impression of a cat coughing up a hairball, which I was like this far away from. And then I thought, well, there's other churches. (laughs) All right, maybe it's just not their time to meet Jesus. That's, That's what it is, I guess. And I was about to spit out this abomination of a biscuit when the host took a bite and with a shout of disgust, he spit his out first. Uh, He had botched the recipe. He had botched the recipe by mistakenly swapping one ingredient for another. Instead of baking powder, he loaded them full of baking soda, exactly. Now, those two ingredients sound very similar but they are very, very different and produce two very different biscuits. Um, 
all of our lives are producing something. And what they produce is in large part determined by the recipe that you are following for your life. And we have been told that there are certain ingredients that are essential for your life if you're gonna be happy, if you're gonna be fulfilled, if you're gonna be satisfied. And so for the last couple of weeks, we looked at two of those that our culture said must be in your biscuits. Consumerism and comfort. Well, this morning, I, I wanna look at one more ingredient, but this one is an ingredient that both our culture and the Bible says needs to be in your life, that this is essential for your life. Both our culture and the Bible would say you need to be experienced more of it today. But while our culture and the Bible throw around this same word, they carry very, two very different meanings to what this word means. They are part of two very different recipes that bake two very different biscuits, if you're tracking with me. Now, this ingredient that I want to talk about is this word freedom. Once upon a time, freedom in our culture was tied to civil liberties, so when you talked about freedom out in the marketplace, you're talking about your, you know, your civil liberties. What that meant, it was all about you know, where you could go, that you could go where you want, that you could say what you want, you could worship how you want, you could believe what you want. And no governing authority had the right to dictate those things to you. Now, of course, that kind of freedom is a really great thing. And if you're here from somewhere else, maybe you grew up in Eritrea or Sudan or someplace where that type of freedom is not a given, you know how essential that kind of freedom is to a thriving life. But our cultural understanding of freedom has evolved and changed beyond that. We no longer think primarily in terms of political or civil liberties. Today, freedom has come to mean Complete autonomy that you and only you define you. Freedom today means that we are the sovereign authority on ourselves over every aspect of our lives. And so this had led to some big shifts in thinking and behaving in our culture, even from just a generation ago. So if I'm sovereign, then I define what is right and wrong. And so now today we don't speak about truth or the truth, we speak about my truth. Because any truth, any other truth, any objective capital T truth, any truth that is outside us or above us that doesn't depend on us impinges my autonomy. And so the truth has to be mine. I have to define it. I have to approve it. And so my truth is less about validating the importance of people's stories or perspectives. It's more about a declaration of autonomy. Once upon a time, gender was defined by biology. A biology outside, and outside of a few you know, rare medical conditions, your chromosomes defined your gender as either male or female. But today, 
our culture increasingly sees biological gender as archaic, as restrictive constructs. So freedom now requires that we have a huge buffet of gender identities that you can choose from to define and express your unique, personally determined gender. Today in our culture, my body and nature doesn't decide when I die. I will decide when I die. Because I wouldn't really be free, I wouldn't be sovereign if my sovereignty didn't extend not only to my life, but to my death. And so made medical assistance in dying is the next logical frontier in a culture where freedom means complete total autonomy. Made has moved more and more away from this idea of dying with dignity. And so they've expanded the boundaries of, you know, what dignity looks like. And dignity at its core is you deciding what's best for you when it's best for you. Because that's what total sovereignty requires. And anything that challenges your autonomy, anything that tries to define you from the outside is to be rejected. We throw off any of those impediments that tell us who we are supposed to be or what we're supposed to do. We must shake those free. And so the societal scaffolding that has been used for millennia to kind of shape our lives, to define our identity, to give us meaning in the world, to anchor us in community, all that scaffolding is being torn down. Religious beliefs, societal norms, are seen as values from another time or another era. And rather rather than being seen as a tool to help you make sense of the world or to understand your purpose, or to inform you of what is right and wrong, they are now seen to be a prison that constrains your freedom. And so they must be resisted and rejected. And so we are entering this tumultuous age where historical values that were once the bedrock of the West are actually being thrown off. What was once seen as good and liberating are now being seen as primitive and oppressive and enemies of your freedom. Now, if you do any critical thinking and kind of think where this is going, you can see that there are some soul-crushing consequences that come with freedom, meaning that you have to define you. Uh, One writer by the name of Alan Noble uh, wrote a great little book. If you're interested in this, pick it up, give it a read. His book is called You Are Not Your Own. And he says this, quote, The great difficulty is that if we are not our own, and by that he means if, if freedom means total autonomy, if we are not our own, then our moral horizons cannot be given. They can only be chosen. And that means that the only assurance that we can ever have that we're living morally must come from within ourselves. No one can absolve you or pardon you. The best other people can do is offer their opinion. Similarly, no one has the right or the ability to tell you what your life means, why it matters, or what your purpose is. End quote. 
All of that stuff now has to be discovered and defined by you. And so one of the consequences of freedom meaning complete autonomy and sovereignty is that you now have to carry the impossible heavy weight of trying to create and define meaning for your life. Now, while there are some aspects of that that is really exciting in our kind of individualistic culture, Alan Noble concludes rightly, I think, that it ultimately leads to deep insecurity in life, which is a second terrible consequence. It leads to deep insecurity because even if we strive to independently define ourselves, define our identity, we are always dependent on others to recognize and validate our identity. Right, you don't have the right to define me but I need you to see and affirm my definition of me. This is the paradox of our age. We say that we are autonomous, but we need a slew of continual voices affirming us in our autonomy. That's why in our culture, so many groups today are not satisfied with you just accepting them and letting them be them. You have to celebrate them. You have to say that what they are doing, the choices they're making are good and right and the best. Why? Because we are slaves to this affirmation from outside us to let us know that our forays into freedom are actually leading us to something good and right. It, it, it reflects a deep insecurity of soul. And so of course, social media has de democratized our individual expression but it now forces us to compete with everybody else's limited attention to give us the validation and the affirmation we crave. And yet you never get enough of it, so we're permanently, uh, you, don't, you don't get enough of it to permanently ground our identity. And so modern life can kind of feel like a million people in a room all shouting their names at the same time. Saying, look at me, look at me. This is me, this is who I am, please give me your likes. And as much as we tell ourselves otherwise, we feel perpetually not enough. We feel this constant need for validation and reassurance. And so in modern culture, being at peace with who you are and your place in the world is actually very elusive because we have put all of the weight on our own shoulders to define ourselves, to demonstrate our worth, to discover our purpose, and to determine our truth. And those things never make you free. In the end, they make us a stressed out, anxious, insecure people who are a slave to ourselves and the opinion of others all in the name of freedom. Not a tasty biscuit, I can assure you. Gospel freedom is a very different thing. We get a good picture of gospel freedom found in Galatians chapter five. Let, let me read it to you beginning in verse one and then let me make a couple of observations. Galatians chapter five, verse one. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then 
And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Let me give you a couple observations. The first is is that gospel freedom is not an appendix. It's not an add-on. It's not an extra option to the Christian faith. It is central to the Christian faith. That's why Jesus said, the one who the Son sets free shall be free indeed. But his picture of freedom is not you throwing off all of your boundaries. It's not you pursuing whatever your self-centered heart desires. It's freedom that releases you from your narrow self-interest and liberates you into a life that is about more than you. And that's why a few verses down in Galatians 5, verse 13, we read this. You, my brothers and sisters, are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. That's kind of the dark side of your, of your nature. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see, gospel freedom doesn't drive us further into ourselves or entrench us in our own sinfulness. It releases us into the nobility of love like Jesus. Now, it might be helpful if I kind of define for you gospel freedom. Um, And I'm going to kind of go the same way that Martin Luther did in his commentary on Galatians 5, where he says, Jesus gives us Freedom of conscience. And according to Luther, this is kind of like the foundational footing to building a house or a life of freedom. It begins with freedom of conscience. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in each of us, there is this prophetic voice that is warning us that we will answer to God, that we're not sovereign that we're actually not the final arbiter on what is right or wrong, that my truth isn't the definitive, authoritative last word on everything pertaining to life. Rather, you and I will answer to God for everything. Now that inner voice that is trying to remind us of that, to kind of create dis-ease in us to that end, it often sounds like a prosecuting attorney. And that prosecuting attorney in your head is your conscience. And your conscience is not some, you know, archaic byproduct of some outdated cultural norms or values. Your conscience is the common grace gift of God to you that's meant to lift your gaze off yourself up towards an ultimate sovereign God and then ultimately to his gospel. And because each of us are sinners by choice and by nature, our conscience, unless it has been totally seared or hardened by our life choices, our conscience 
our consciences are constantly troubled by what we know about ourselves. Because we know that we don't measure up. We know that our aspirations of what is good and right don't match our reality. We know and we regret our mistakes. We feel guilty about the stuff that we did or that we left undone. Life disturbs our consciences. And for troubled consciences, for a troubled conscience, we have the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible would say to you that God so loved this messed up, troubled world that he gave his one and only son and whomever would would hand to the son the mess of their lives. Whoever gives the mess of their lives to Jesus should not perish but have life everlasting. And everlasting life begins with a conscience free from regret over our past, free from guilt and shame in our future, and free from fear over our future, uh, uh, sorry, free from guilt and shame in our present and free from fear in our future. So in the deepest parts of our being, we can, we can rest, we can be at, at, at um, our conscience can be at peace with ourselves and at peace with God. And this is the type of freedom that Paul and Jesus would say satisfies. In fact, the whole book of Galatians is basically a treatise on gospel freedom because this is what God wants for you. He wants you to have a liberated conscience before him. And so Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Please notice that God is for your freedom. He is for your spiritual thriving. That every bit of Jesus' life, every detail, every second of his time on earth, God come as man, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, was so that you could be free today. In fact, Paul's phrasing... His double emphasis on freedom, he didn't just say, you know, it was for freedom, or he didn't just say that Christ set you free, he puts both together. It was for freedom that Christ set you free, and that double emphasis is so that you would know this isn't just theoretical freedom. This is meant for you to be experienced, to be lived in, to be lived out of today. And so this freedom doesn't come from kind of burying your head in some spiritual mumbo-jumbo or just some doctrinal ideas. Freedom doesn't come with just pretending the mess of your lives isn't there. Gospel freedom actually comes from looking beyond ourselves to Christ as all the covering we need before a God who is holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Uh, John Bunyan uh, was the author of a great little book called Pilgrim's Progress, and he described the moment as a Christ follower when he finally became free. And he knew that feeling like we all do that, you know, I'm just, I don't feel like I'm enough. There's, there's got to be more I need to do before God. 
And so he never felt free. He never really felt at peace until this one day he was out for a walk. When he writes, this is what happened. He said, suddenly the sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. And I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand, there as my righteousness. I saw moreover that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better or my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in that moment did my chains fall off indeed. And I went home rejoicing in the grace and love of God. See, friends, freedom of heart, freedom of conscience that spills into our lives is not something we find by obsessively looking at ourselves but something we find and we live into as we obsessively look to Jesus. Furthermore, if Christ died to make you free, then you have no right to walk around carrying the shackles of shame and guilt. God wants you to know that you are forgiven, not just between your ears. He wants you to know it experientially in the deepest recesses of your heart because it is this peace and this acceptance that can be yours in Christ that releases security and joy in you that seeps from your heart into your life. It begins to shape how you see yourself, what you feel, how you think. So that if you are constantly You are liberated from constantly having to try to prove yourself and are instead free to live your life from a place of love. And that's why Paul ends this section in verse six saying the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. That is what the freedom of Christ, that's the fruit that it bursts in our life. Gospel freedom releases us from ourselves to love God and to love others radically in radically beautiful, life-giving ways. But you should also notice that Paul gives a very stern warning for you and I. Because our experience of freedom, our experience of freedom is so fragile that despite its divine source, it can be lost, it can be dribbled away, it can slip through our grasp. Churches can have robust gospel doctrine, but have little gospel culture. They can quote the verses on freedom, but actually live out of very little of it. Why is that? Well, let me explain that. That's why Paul says you need to stand firm in it. The freedom that God has won for us must be stood in because we inadvertently lose it when we step out from under this gospel into any other recipe for life or we try to add any little ingredient into the gospel recipe, no matter how small the tablespoon of our own action, of our own righteousness, as a source of our freedom. And so Paul says, do not let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You see, what was happening in this church was you had people who were the equivalent of prisoners who were sprung from their prison. 
right? The chains have been released from their ankles and they, they stepped out of their dark cells into the sunlight of gospel freedom. But in time, they begin to walk themselves back into their jail cell and close the door behind them. And so Paul is saying, you were walking back into the same slavery that you were freed from. So this freedom that has been won for us has to be stood on in faith because, and this is the, the center to understand Paul's thinking in Galatians, that the very real enemy of our freedom is the proud thought that Jesus actually isn't enough all on his own. That somehow Jesus needs a little bit of help in justifying us. That Jesus needs a little bit of, 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 of your shoulder to the wheel to to help affirm or validate you before God or before the world, which is just another expression of the same heart lie that has gripped our culture. And so Paul will say in verse two, I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Now, if you're new here, and you're thinking, that's a weird pivot. We just went from talking about freedom to foreskins. I, I get it. A, a, a little bit weird, but stay with me here for, for a second. Let me try to clear this up. Whenever you read about circumcision in the New Testament, it is shorthand for the Old Covenant. For obedience and submission to the Jewish law as a means to follow God and be made right with him. So the defining characteristic of the Old Covenant was circumcision. It was this external sign that you had submitted to the Jewish law. Now, there were a group of people in Paul's day, day who was convincing these Christians that Jesus wasn't enough. They needed Jesus plus circumcision. They needed Jesus plus a religious act. It was salvation by surgery. And now we can scoff at this kind of weird cultural phenomenon that has no bearing on our life today, right? You, you won't see a slide for like, you know, circumcision session after church on Sunday. Like, you know, and so you're like, what? The, this, is, this is so irrelevant. But, but here's the deal. That we as humans are constantly tempted to take our eyes off God for our identity and to look to ourselves by the means that we are made right with God. In Paul's day, the issue was circumcision, but in every generation... In every church that I've ever been a part of, there are well-meaning people who say in various ways, yes, of course Jesus saves. But if you really want to take your Christianity to the next level, you need to do blank. Sometimes that blank is rules and boundaries that we add that have nothing to do with the gospel or the Bible. But we think, well, if they help keep people away from the cliff edge, if they provide a buffer from, you know, sin, what harm can it do? And many of you grew up under well-intentioned boundaries that actually killed your freedom in Christ. Because as soon as you start, as soon as we get into that process, our self-invented holiness will look to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing that we add to Jesus. And pretty soon the gaze of our hearts moves from Jesus to ourselves. And Jesus becomes a theory 
and his cross becomes insufficient and you find yourself a slave. A comfortable slave in the confines of a church, but a slave. You'll find the peace that was once rooted in Jesus Christ has been replaced by pride in what you have done or a perpetual insecurity that you're not and still not and probably never will be enough. And not only is it bad for you, but this world that desperately longs for freedom looks at what we peddle it as and say, I want none of that religiosity. And the end result in Galatians and today of well-meaning religiosity is Jesus and the gospel are obscured and freedom is lost. And look what Paul says in verse four. If you think I'm being stern, I got nothing on Paul. Look what he says. You who are trying to be justified by the law, justified by your own efforts, consciously or subconsciously, you are alienated from Christ. Some translations say cut off from Christ and have fallen from grace. But if you stop there and you just read that, you must, your mind should go, what horrible, blasphemous, you know, wicked sin of all sin could they have committed that Paul would say you're cut off from Jesus, fallen from grace? But Paul isn't referencing some evil sin He's, rep- he's referencing their well-meaning religiosity. That's what's terrifying. We lose touch with Jesus and his grace when we try to add to the gospel of grace by being overly religious, by being overly fixated on ourselves and what we do. That's Paul's whole argument here. I, I really like Ray Ortland. He gives commentary to this verse and he says, quote, if we are so foolish as to think we can enhance the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we are not making Christianity better. We are departing from it. Any addition to the gospel is subtraction. As soon as you add to the gospel, you change the gospel, and so you lose the gospel. That's Galatians chapter one. And so Paul says, you must stand firm in your freedom that your only real experience hope for your troubled conscience, the only real experiential hope to live a life of freedom that is marked by love is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Because God has done what no religious system, what no church bylaws, what no church cultural suggestions can do, God has done it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to establish our reconciliation to God He dealt with sin on the cross so that the life that we all long for might be brought to expression in those who by faith belong to Jesus. And so because of Jesus, there is no longer any referendum on your value or worth because it has been set by Jesus. Your future and your place in God's plan is not up for negotiation. It's been secured and established by Jesus. And so the church then The church now need not look anywhere else for forgiveness for the past or spiritual maturity in the present or hope in the future other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what makes you free to add to Jesus, to let 
self-justifying thoughts or spiritually defining behaviors that creep into your Christianity, what it actually does is that it kills your faith and hope in the gospel and it forfeits your freedom. And that's why when we gather central, we over and over and over again gospelize ourselves and our hearts in the truth of Jesus Christ because it is the sole ingredient that frees our troubled conscience. This is why we don't move beyond Jesus. Like it's not like you get into the door of faith by Jesus and then you grow into maturity by something other than Jesus. We don't need to supplement our faith with something more than Jesus because only the good news has the power to liberate our self-centered hearts. Worship team, when you want to come on up. Maybe, maybe a 500-year-old catechism, a 500-year-old German catechism might be a really great place to end here. Um, the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, through a series of kind of questions and answers, it, it, it explores kind of the breadth of the Christian faith. And the Heidelberg Catechism begins at a very remarkable place. This is where it begins. What is your only comfort in life and death? And this is the answer. That I am not my own. Praise God, I'm not the autonomous, sovereign authority of my life. I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he will also assure me of eternal life and make me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is part of the basket of the truth that Jesus says will make you free, not just in theory, not just on paper, but in your experience that you can know today that you are forgiven. You can know in the depth of your soul that you matter. You can have the validation of all validations, the eternal approval and acceptance of God through comfort. And this is our only comfort in life and death that we are not sovereign, autonomous beings who belong to ourselves, as our culture says, but that I am not my own. I belong, body and soul, in life and death in my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And so central, so my friends, in a culture that says, follow your heart, Jesus says, oh, follow me. In an age that says, believe in yourself, may you believe in Jesus. In a society constantly shouting at you to define yourself, may you hear Jesus say, no, 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 deny yourself. And when you are told that freedom is found in you being you, may you stand firm that your freedom belongs in Jesus being Jesus. Amen? Let's stand and sing. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening. And we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. 
For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.